You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to another edition of the Drive Time Show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. Today is Wednesday, the 19th of October 2022. With uh, with myself, Shajil Ahmed, and also our usual Wednesday afternoon drive time show presenters, Dr. Tariq Bajwa and also uh, Aniko Rahman as well. Asalaamu Alaikum, gentlemen. Uh, how are you guys doing this afternoon? Mm. Wa Alaikum Asalaam. Peace be on you as well. Thank you very much. And uh, peace to all our listeners as well. So uh, I think it's, it's quite interesting topics we have today. and uh, A bit diverse, but uh, I think it will be interesting to... Uh, talk about them, particularly uh, the slavery. Uh, I think uh, because people think that slavery is the uh, is something which was there at a certain time and mm. uh, is long forgotten now. Mm. Uh, but the facts are against it. It's still there, although it might be in another form. And uh, of course, we have another topic, which is uh, quite an interesting topic. Is the uh, restorative justice, which uh, not many people are aware of, that mm. uh, they might uh, it might be something new for for some of the people. Uh, but uh, we will be speaking about it uh, later on uh, in the second hour. Yeah, so you know, some interesting topics here. So, as Mr. Bajwas mentioned regarding the topic which we are discussing today, of course, is restorative justice, which means that uh, you know victim. Uh, can talk to offenders, uh, encouraging them to take responsibility and uh, make amends. So this not only empowers victims, but aims to help them in getting back to their lives. Mm. So that's what we will be discussing today, and uh, you know we will be get taking uh, question. On, we will be answering so many uh, you know things regarding this restorative justice, yeah. how it's helping you know victims and offenders. But that's something uh, we're going to save that uh, part for, you know, the second part of the show um, uh, towards, you know, the latter part of the show. Firstly, as as you just mentioned uh, as well, that we're going to be speaking about uh, slavery and uh, modern day slavery as well and how this is such a such a big issue. Um, slavery, as you know, as you mentioned, Dr. Uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Bajwa, that it sounds I, I, like I, I it sounds like a thing I of the past. When I, sorry, um, I, I was thinking that. When was slavery started? Because uh, I'm thinking that when we we usually the history we have learned about or we have read about, we see that um, slavery was there, and there is a mention of, of course, uh, you know, through the Holy Quran, we we learn that Hazrat Yusuf al-Islam, Prophet Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. on whom be peace, mm, yeah. he was the one who was sold in the market, and he was. Um, you know, later on, uh, he was not kept as a slave, but obviously slavery was there. And that was a tradition that people used to uh, 
um, you know, sell human beings mm. uh, as a slavery. And after that, uh, we hear at the um, at the time of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that uh, we see that uh, you know there was slavery and there were slaves, and they were. Uh, it was a, like a normal thing to hap- happen that people used to have slaves, and obviously it was a sign of. Uh, being rich or being well off that you had more slaves and and it was like a very traditional that people how people were made slaves uh, and I think it was um, it was like a business just like the mm. other commodities so people were um, so but but I think there was also that uh, the during the wars when people had a fight when they had a, a war then um, they used to kill the uh, the men uh, mostly uh, maybe uh, some young men might have been left which, which might be uh, uh, later on proved to be useful but, uh, but the women and children they were left and they were they were kept as slaves and uh, and and they were used in whatever form to 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 help uh, in the um, household chores or in um, you know in the in the fields or the construction work or different types of works they were taken from them um so so that was that and and then we hear that about we we hear about uh, that the the holy quran has uh, um has made people free and and actually encourage people uh, as much as possible to uh, free the slaves and there were various every time and the holy prophet may peace and blessing the Allah be upon him we see in the history that Hazrat Khadija radiyallahu anha may Allah be pleased with her who was uh, his first wife mm-hmm. uh, and she uh, you know whatever number of slaves she had she actually uh, presented it to to uh, her husband, him, the Holy husband, Prophet, yeah. Yeah. may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, uh, who in fact um, freed them. Uh, freed all of them, isn't uh, it? Freed all of yeah. them, yeah. Um, um, although one of them he preferred to stay with the Holy Prophet, hmm. uh, may peace be upon him, Hazrat Zad. We, we hear about that. So so th- this this is what I, I am, and I was just thinking that when was that it was it started? How did it start? We have to, you know, maybe. Uh, if you know uh, something about that, it would be nice to talk about that as well. Yeah, it it, it is interesting. It is interesting. The you know the more deeper down in history we go, the yeah, more far so, back so, we go. So, so when so so, so might be at that certain stage it started and it, it has been continued for for like many many years and many then many centuries. and uh, it is uh, it is Islam uh, which which is the, the religion which the first time has discouraged it and. Uh, Although uh, you don't see, uh, apart from that, the Holy Prophet may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he he said very clearly that uh, you know there is no slavery in Islam, so mm. it sh- should not happen, yeah. I, uh, and uh, it is uh, um, it's forbidden. Uh, but uh, you see, looking at uh, the Holy Quran, you don't don't see any clear cut, just like like. Um, uh, it is mentioned about the uh, gambling, about the uh, uh, the drinking of alcohol, um, eating pork. It is haram. It is forbidden. Mm. But you don't see sl- anywhere written that slavery is forbidden. It's haram. Mm. So, uh, and, and although Islam has 
encouraged that you should free the slaves and and it has and the holy prophet mm-hmm. uh prophet muhammad may peace and blessings of allah be upon him obviously was a the first one who has very clearly said that it is you know it is not allowed mm-hmm. uh but then we still see and that's our topic today is that we still see that in some form it still exists uh, although um it might be it might not be named as slavery but it is uh, in the various forms which which it uh, still exists you know uh, talking about uh, the you know the the islamic injunctions and the commandments uh, in regards to that as well we'll speak a little bit more about that uh, as the show continues uh, as well uh, for now let's uh, let's move on uh, and uh, speak to our first guest for uh, for this uh, part of the show Lauren Saunders, who's Head of Research and Policy for Unseen UK. Peace be upon you. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Hiya, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Um, to begin with, what are the major hurdles in, in tackling the issue of modern slavery? Um, I think the major hurdles are the fact that it's a very hidden crime. Um, people don't know that it's happening nearby, maybe associate it with something that they see on TV or film and don't um, resonate or see it happening in real life. And therefore, it's very hard to respond to it, tackle it, if people aren't aware it's happening potentially right next door to where they are. Mm. Um, it's often conflated with other issues as well. So I think there's often a confusion with smuggling and illegal immigration and human trafficking, and they are very different things. Um, so that can be another issue. And victim blaming as well, not um, allowing a person who's experienced this horrendous crime to be able to talk freely mm. and in a safe space and open confidently about what they've been through to disclose and therefore you can't respond to it if you don't know it's happening um so yeah those are the i think the three sort of main areas for me and obviously you know as you mentioned one of the main things is allowing the victim to actually speak up and getting the message across as well and asking for help so in terms of um in terms of supporting uh, and helping those uh, you know those people who are who, f- who do fall victims uh, of, of slavery. How does your charity support them uh, in this way? So we run the National Modern Slavery and Exploitation Helpline, um, which is a free and confidential service available 24-7. So people can contact that um, helpline, whether they're the, a victim themselves or whether it's a family member or a friend or a loved one or someone, even just someone that you've walked past and think, actually, that, that might not be right. Uh, the helpline is available to answer any queries and support those individuals. We also provide um, support in the community. We might go out with other agencies to local areas of concern and speak to those individuals about what their rights are and what um, support might look like and that can be in a safe house so accommodation we have a men's safe house and a women's safe house because both genders can be victims of this crime we work in the community with those living um, with family friends or sleeping homeless um, and we provide employability skills and signposting to mental health support or financial support or housing or whatever their individual circumstances might need to recover from that crime, we, we're able to kind of support with them with that. Yeah, so what can be the long-term solution uh, to end this and how long do you think it would take? I think long-term solution is really working together and 
being making sure that everyone is trained and everyone has an awareness of the issue the more people that know it's occurring nearby the more people can report it to the police or report it to the helpline um, if you're training in young people in schools about how to avoid coercive behavior or um, manipulation techniques that exploiters use and target people um, being aware of these issues can help avoid entering into exploitation yourself or um, and it can also help identify those who might be at higher risk and um, might be working with businesses who may be um, have wide supply chains for their business operations where there might be forced labor occurring within the supply chains and really kind of being working with statutory services so police the government working with business owners working with the public training people in schools or other mm -hmm. kind of avenues so really kind of working together is a, is a way to tackle it true uh, you know the home office has recently classified modern slavery as an illegal immigration you know issues how do you see this I think it's really um, a concerning factor, especially because 30% of the people that were entered into the national referral mechanism, which is the Home Office's process for identifying victims, 30% of those last year were actually UK nationals. So if it's an immigration issue, why would there be 30% UK nationals being entered into it? Um, people can be trafficked across borders as well. It doesn't have to be across countries. So there might be someone who is maybe living in the north of England who can be trafficked to the south of England. That doesn't mean it's an Im legal immigration issue. Um, people may not know where they're coming from and exploiters will find loopholes in any sort of um, way to, to exploit people. And that's a real kind of worry because they can say to people, if you tell anyone about what you're going through, you might be deported or you will be deported. Mm. And therefore, that stops people being having the confidence to, to disclose what they've been through and, and who they've been interacting with because of their fear of immigration challenges when actually that might not be um, the right course of action for that person. Yeah, true. So, you know, modern slavery cases in the UK have been uh, rising. What do you think is leading to it and what steps need to be taken at the government level? I think it's very difficult to say if it's rising or if mm -hmm. it's becoming more visible. Um, as more and more people become aware of the issue, that means more and more people are becoming identified. Um, also, as but then there is the other side in actually vulnerabilities and causes of exploitation can be for a variety of things. And things like the cost of living crisis or a, the COVID-19 pandemic or the Ukraine war or any of these things, they all have an element of they can increase vulnerability they can make people move from their houses or lose their jobs or interact with people that they wouldn't have met before so any of these factors can make someone more vulnerable and therefore be more at risk of exploitation and there can that's what, that can then in turn make it rise but also the awareness is continuing to grow and that's that's another kind of area as well Thank you so much, uh, Lawrence, and, uh, Lawrence Saunders, for, for joining us uh, this afternoon. It was a pleasure speaking to you uh, and uh, enjoyed your expertise uh, and contribution to the show as well. Thank you so much. Once Thank again, you. Thank you very much. Have a lovely day. Thank you. Thanks. You know, when we discuss, of course, we are discussing the slavery. There's modern slavery. Yeah. And if we go into the history, a brief history has been already mentioned that how it started from if we discuss further, you know, in uh, 2019, approximately 40 million people, uh, of whom 26% were children, were enslaved worldwide despite being illegal.
And in the, in the modern world, more than 50% of enslaved people provide forced labor. So usually in the factories or sweet shops and other, you know, various other places. Yeah. So if, if we go back to the 17th or 18th century, we find out the people were kidnapped from the continent of Africa, forced into slavery in the American colonies yeah. and exploited to work uh, in the production of crops such as tobacco and cotton. And if we go further, you know, the European uh, settlers in North America turned to enslaved Africans as a cheaper, more plentiful labor source than, um, you know, intelligent servant. So who were mostly poor Europeans and hundreds of thousands of Africans, both free and, uh, you know, enslaved, aided the establishment of survival of colonies in the American America and uh, the New World. However, many consider a significant starting point to slavery in America to be 1619, when the privateer, the White Line, brought 20 enslaved Africans ashore in the British colony of Jamestown. And uh, according to BBC, the British transported up to 3 million Africans to British America between 1700 and 1810. Mm. And in between, if we discover about the 17th century, 1774 and 1804, most of the northern state of America abolished slavery and started to process the abolished slavery, but the institution of slavery remained vital to the South. So, you know, as a long discussion can be made on this, on the history especially, that how these things were started, how, you know, these uh, people were enslaved uh, and been, you know, used to make their colonies better and uh, to have a cheap labor. And uh, many you know, African uh, countries and the, on, on the whole continent, the African Africa ad, uh, from Africa, many people were brought into even this country, and uh, they were enslaved, uh, and they were, because there was a cheap labor and they were taking work from them day and night. Mm. I mean, we see we see this happening, uh, and then uh, this is why you know this is why a lot of people because they don't know about this that much mm. right? obviously people know about it but it's uh, it's about raising more awareness as well so that the wider um, population the wider or the more people that know about it um, the more awareness that uh, would be raised as well and specifically you know talking about uh, what uh, what Islam says in regards to this as well um, many we find many injunctions in the Holy Quran where f- you know for example if somebody does a sin or if somebody does any any bad thing Mm. and they have to make up for that one you know sometimes the Holy Quran says that they should to actually compensate for that vice or compensate for that sin they have to free a slave Um, they have to free a slave they sometimes it is that they have to fast um, you know for 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 a number of days (coughs) sometimes they may have to give some sort of uh, charity or some sort of food to somebody uh, so these are different injunctions that uh, you know that the holy quran actually gives so that there's you know that there's no that there's no uh, there's no f- there's no slaves which are left in chapter th- uh, chapter 90 verses 13 and 14 allah the almighty states that and what should make thee know what the ascent is ascent being you know a very lofty um uh, uh deed a very good deed and that is it is the freeing of a slave. So mm. this is one of the biggest things, you know, a very big thing that uh, that anyone can actually do. 
and uh, taking care of the captives. I mean, that that cannot that can go on to a different sort of uh, uh, topic, a, a subtopic. Um, but freeing, uh, you know, freeing slaves, um, you know, making ease for for those uh, for the enslaved people as well. And that is one of the you know one of the injunctions which are mentioned in the in the Holy Quran uh, as well. See the slavery, um, which the modern slavery, um, which is named as modern slavery, because it's a different forms of um, utilizing people and taking advantage of their situation, uh, where they are uh, they're unable to uh, stand for their rights. So and it can be in the form of like forced sexual exploitation, human trafficking, child labor, forced marriages, domestic slavery, um, or forced labor on farms, in the business of construction, in shops, in bars, car washes, all manufacturing. So everywhere you see that uh, uh, people take advantage of those who are um, who are in such a situation where they are vulnerable, where they can't speak for themselves, or they cannot raise their voice because of the circumstances, as uh, was mentioned uh, by one of uh, our uh, earlier our guest, that they are in such a situation where they can't raise their voice. But those who are observing them, uh, if they are aware of that these things are happening around them, mm. then they can speak up on their behalf. Mm. And of course, now the police is aware, and uh, <coughs> uh, also there is a, the helplines are aware where where you can, because it is by law, it is illegal, and it is uh, 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 something which 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 uh, you know uh, people can be uh, investigated about that. Um, looking at the history of, you know, how uh, the abolition of the slave trade took place, the first international document against slavery was in 1815. So that's in the 19th century. Basically. Mm. So declaration uh, relative to the universal abolition of the slave trade, that was the uh, first time this uh, international document was signed. And then around uh, 188 years ago, more than... 800,000 enslaved Africans in Britain's colonies were declared free as the Slavery Abolition Act came into effect in August 1834. And again, in another BBC report, between 1815 and 1957, uh, around 300 international agreements were implemented with varying degrees of success to suppress slavery. So many of these agreements, they lacked adequate institutions and procedures to ensure that they were enforced. So so um, it has taken a long time for mm -hmm. the documentation and uh, bringing it into the, um, uh, into uh, sort of uh, to becoming legal, to take action against those who are involved in the slavery trade and to, uh, uh, to discourage it. Uh, however, uh, as we see, and I mentioned earlier as well, that the, at the time of the Holy Prophet, May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him with according to the Islamic teachings. He discouraged himself the slavery. And uh, it's mentioned about Hazrat Umar, uh, who was the second caliph of Islam. During his reign, uh, a deputation from Yemen came and complained that before the advent of Islam, they had been made into slaves without any cause by a neighboring Christian tribe. Mm -hmm. And Hazrat Umar, may Allah be pleased with him, replied that though the event took place before the Muslims were in power, he would 
look into it, the case and uh, and and he he uh, he would uh, set like them free, isn't taken, it? Set them free, hmm. uh, you know, if the, if the complaint was uh, was true, and and he sees that. Yeah, yeah, they they should they should be freed. Hmm. So, um, so this this was the this was the Islamic stand, and in contrast to this, the Europeans continued to use slavery for advancing their trade and agriculture hmm. until the 19th century, as we see that hmm. it's uh, 1834 that this act of uh, abolition of uh, slavery has come into action. You know, there's very beautiful even hadith of the Holy Prophet, uh, peace be uh, uh, peace and blessings Allah be upon him. Mm. Whereas Abu Dhar radiallahu ta'ala and narrates that the Holy Prophet would state that your slaves are your brethren. Hence, if an individual has a slave under his control, then he should feed him what he eats himself mm. and he should clothe him with what he wears himself. Do not burden your slaves with a task that is beyond their capacity, and if you do, then assist them in the task yourselves. We see in the lifetime of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that even though there were many, you know, the uh, Quraysh who were captives of war, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, never mistreated them. They stayed in Medina. They stayed with them. They have seen the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, from very, you know, with, with, with he, they saw them how, you know, uh, Benevolence he was and how you know love and affliction he had towards the captives he was never you know told anybody mm. to punish them because they are captive cap, captive of the wars and even though we find in a hadith that once the Holy Prophet peace and blessings be upon him said that if any one of you is knowledgeable can teach children they can teach children for up to th- these many years and he will be set free mm. so he wanted to make ease for them and he wanted to basically release them they were captives, but he tried a level best to be good with him, you know, to set them free and, uh, you know, make some, such, such kind of arrangements so they can, you know, leave this, uh, you know, uh, slavery. But on the other hand, we see that, as Dr. Tariq Bajas already mentioned, that in modern slavery in the European countries, if we go back to three, four, three, four centuries before, they were just bringing, you know, people from other countries and using them slaves over here in these countries even. Mm. I mean, we, I mean, we see the contrast. We see the contrast um, on, you know, on on one side, they're trying to get rid of the slaves yeah. and make uh, making things, making implementing different regimes and different uh, concepts to actually. M- so that they can stand up on their own feet, so that mm. they can become free themselves. They can earn their freedom. Uh, in a just way, but in the o- on the other hand, we're seeing other nations, big big nations. Um, they have progressed because of these slaves, mm. and uh, then you can question: Is that actually progressing, or is that you know just being uh, you know just having uh, slaves as well? Um, let's um, let's speak to our next guest who is on the line with us, Georgina Russell, who's a communications officer at Anti-Slavery International. Peace be upon you. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me on today. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Uh, could you tell us, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your organisation, your your sort of aims and objectives, what you aim to do? Yes, of course. So, Anti-Slavery International, um, we work to tackle the root causes of modern slavery. 
So um, sometimes helpful just to sort of ground that. Modern slavery it can be defined, although there are many definitions of it, of when an individual is exploited by others for personal or commercial gain, whether tricked, coerced, forced, they lose their freedom. And Anti-Slavery International works with a vast range of partners, allies and supporters all around the world to fight for freedom. Um, so from projects empowering child domestic workers in Ghana and in Tanzania mm. to campaigns for new laws in the UK and in Europe, um, we see that we all have a role to play in tackling this great injustice. Absolutely, absolutely. You're an, of, of course, you're an, you're an international organisation. How, how do you see the condition of slavery in uh, in different countries and different uh, continents as well? Is it any any better or any different um, than the developed uh, countries? Uh, I think it's kind of helpful at this point to see modern slavery as really it's an umbrella term hmm. for many forms of exploitation. So to name but a few, so we've got forced labour, we've got debt bondage, forced marriage, child slavery, descent-based slavery human trafficking um and each of those can be very very different mm. and that also varies by location as well so there's sort of multiple factors that can mean make a difference um sort of talk through one of one example um forced labor so that can be people who are being exploited within global supply chains and actually it's in almost every sector um so that could be in coffee picking in production of garments in fisheries and because that is on a global scale that sort of like spreads around the world so from producer countries to consumer countries but actually it's also in the UK it's forced labour so in the UK there are an estimated 100,000 people in slavery and whilst not all are in forced labour they are our neighbours and they're within our communities um, examples of forced labour in the UK can be construction workers or people f- picking fruit or cleaning cars. And for that reason, or for this reason, we need a toolbox of measures to tackle modern slavery around the world. I mean, it's good that you mentioned that uh, there's different types of, uh, you know, of, uh, of slavery as well and how people get it, get forced to do something, um, you know, which is, of, of course, uh, out of their will. But what what is the impact of your of your work worldwide? Then, how, how do you what do you sort of do to actually help them and assist them? Yeah, and actually, sort of seeing the impact of systems change, which is what we call for, is really difficult um, because the change we're calling for takes time and it takes persistence, and it's not something you can sort of see with your own eyes very regularly. But an example from earlier this year, a huge success was in Uzbekistan. So Uzbekistan is in Central Asia, and the Uzbek Forum for Human Rights, um, a grassroots organisation in Uzbekistan, found no evidence of mm-hmm. systemic state-imposed forced labour in the 2021 Uzbek cotton harvest. Um, so that may sound just really good, but actually that was the result of 15 years of tireless campaigning. Um, to mention that people who've been leading on this is the Cotton Campaign, who are an amazing um, coalition of organisations. Um, tangibly, that means that over one million children and adults mm-hmm. are no longer experiencing modern slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's 15 years of partnerships and incredible 
grassroots allies on the ground as well. Hmm. Yeah, true. So, you know, if we look at um, the COVID, uh, how has the COVID-19 pandemic worsened slavery and uh, what steps have you taken to overcome the challenges? So, in 2022, we mm-hmm. had new global estimates of modern slavery, mm-hmm. which put the number of people living in modern slavery at estimated 50 million people, mm-hmm. which is just 50 million people too many. Um, but that is a rise of almost 10 million from 2017. Mm-hmm. So the evidence suggests that COVID has been exacerbating existing vulnerabilities that has driven people to, into slavery. So from that, we know our work is needed more than ever. We know slavery is wrong. I think we can all agree that slavery is wrong. And we continue to fight and to build a movement of people powering freedom to tackle modern slavery together. Hmm. So, you know, it is important to raise awareness among the masses to identify and stand against slavery. So what is Anti-Slavery International uh, doing in this regard? So yesterday was actually Anti-Slavery Day, the 18th of October, mm-hmm. um, and we're really proud this year to be part of the Coalition to Stop Slavery, mm-hmm. which is a group of leading UK charities, all heavily involved in fighting human trafficking and modern slavery. Um, on the Coalition to Stop Slavery website, which I'd encourage your listeners to go and have a look at, um, you can learn the signs of slavery and you can sign our petition, which is calling for the UK government to ensure goods tainted with slavery are banned in the UK. Of course, we can't mm-hmm. do this alone as an anti-slavery organisation. That's why raising awareness is so important. True. And everyone has a role to play in learning what modern slavery is, learning the signs so you know what to do if you do suspect you see someone in modern slavery, mm-hmm. of joining the movement to call for the end of modern slavery, and by educating those around you. So we have lots of resources on our website. So if you work in a school or if you're in a community group, then we have the resources and tools to support you in speaking to your local community mm-hmm. and getting the message across. True, indeed. indeed. So do you think the Home Secretary plans to classify modern slavery as an illegal immigration issue will leave vulnerable people helpless? So the UK... Mm-hmm. had a then world leading in 2015 brought in the Modern Slavery Act. Mm-hmm. And under that, victims of modern slavery were entitled to support through that. However, we've consistently seen the support they've been receiving has been rolled back. And this is really deeply concerning, particularly when our recent research has shown that survivors of modern slavery are being let down to the extent of a heightened risk of re-trafficking. Mm-hmm. So people who've managed to leave situations of exploitation are finding themselves in situations where they may have to go back or they're finding themselves back in situations of slavery. This week, our CEO, Justin O'Connor, shared an opinion piece on The Independent calling for everyone to remember Mm -hmm. that there are people behind these toxic headlines. It's actually people Mm -hmm. and survivors of slavery, survivors of something that very fortunately most of us can simply not imagine. And that we need to remember our humanity when Mm -hmm. we talk about modern slavery and when we see these toxic headlines and toxic political conversations around it. It's people, Mm -hmm. and that's who we need to be fighting for. 
Yeah, true. So if, if I ask your opinion, what is the best approach uh, to prevent uh, this modern slavery? We must be tackling the root causes of one's mm-hmm. slavery. True, so true. Poverty, discrimination and the exacerbation of existing vulnerabilities. We need stronger laws. And when those strong laws already exist, we need them to be enforced much stronger. But as an individual, this can feel really, really overwhelming. Like thinking, what can I do for the 50 million people who currently don't have their freedom? But there are things you can do. And we can all come together to be the people powering freedom uh, by using our voices and our platforms to address the systems that are keeping people enslaved. Because together we can realize a world for freedom for everyone, everywhere, always. Georgina Russell, thank you so much for for joining us uh, this this afternoon. Um, it's been it's been a pleasure speaking to you and getting your expertise uh, on the show as well. Thank you so much once again, and uh, have a lovely day. Thank you, you too. Thank you. Now, if you want to uh, get in touch with us, um, the the lines are open. If you want to contribute to the show, zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you to call. Um, you can also uh, voice your opinions and give us any 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 sort of uh, feedback as well on our Instagram handle at Voice of Islam UK. Um, talking about, I mean, spoke to uh, our guests and uh, t- I mean them telling us how big of an issue this uh, is. Sometimes we may not even see it, and uh, our guests also spoke about how there's different ways. Um, in which people are forced to do something that they that they don't want to do, and you know all of these things. Uh, I mean, our previous guest just said that modern day slavery can be is is an umbrella term. There's so many things, uh, there's so many different types of slavery which people are actually forced uh, to do uh, as well. So you know these uh, it is it is very very much important um, that we you know that we actually raise awareness in regards to this issue as well and know how to tackle this issue um, tell you know raise it with the authorities uh, or you know just uh, by simply speaking to people uh, and making sure that everyone knows how we can tackle this issue in the best possible way as well. See the politics they always keep changing. We just mentioned about the Home Secretary and her policies, mm. and we just got the news that the Home mm. Secretary has resigned. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the policies will be changing, <laughs> probably. So I hope they change for the good. Yeah. And uh, Swella Braverman, uh, she has uh, resigned, and um, so we'll we expect a new Home Secretary. And uh, I hope that she deals with this issue uh, in a better way, and we get more. Uh, sort of concerned regarding that because uh, uh, the immigration issue obviously we have to keep a, a balance that those mm. who who raise their voice obviously they will be uh, considered as illegal immigrants some of them who came under the trafficking and uh, what are they going to do then if they are supposed to be illegal in this country how are uh, they going to be to be dealt with uh, or are they supposed to be criminals uh, or are they going to be supported so that because they are the ones who are the vulnerable ones of course uh, of course you know when we when we talk about uh, what uh, the what the holy quran says (coughs) and also the example of the you know of the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him we find various things we find various injunctions 
and we find various examples as well. The example that you gave as well before that when uh, when the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him when he married uh, Hazrat Khadija uh, and you know how the slaves which were given to him he freed all of them and there was one slave his name was Zaid and he I mean despite the fact that he was freed as well as the other slaves were free mm. he because of the treatment that he received from the Holy Prophet uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him because of that treatment he when his parent when his father and his uncle came to came to Mecca and came in search to look for him they found him and then they said come let's go back let's go back home let's go you know let's go back to where we belong he said no I, d- I don't want to go back because because of the good character because of the way that the Holy Prophet treated that treated him the way that the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him the way he he carried out his duties his responsibilities and this is this is the beautiful teachings of Islam as well I mean, we you spoke about it before as well. That there's a, there's another saying uh, that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that if you have a slave, then feed that slave what you eat yourself. Give that slave the same clothes. Clothe them with the same clothes that you put on yourself, and don't give don't give any sort of uh, you know don't burden them so much that that it become difficult for difficult for for them as well make ease for them hmm. and in fact uh, man, exactly. you know, as you mentioned that Hazrat Zad was uh, was the slave who was freed but despite yes. the, the offer that he he can go wherever he like he mm. he preferred uh, to stay, stay with, stay with, with the prophet slave. prophet muhammad may peace and blessings of allah be upon him but he's also mentioned that his his father and his uncle mm. because originally he was not uh, from the slave family or he was mm. not a slave he was actually kidnapped and he was uh, somehow he, he was brought, he was there, brought yeah. into slavery so they obviously his parents were looking for him and ultimately they found out that uh, he is here in mecca and they traveled and they came and to and met the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him and they said that um, you know they told uh, that uh, that his mother was uh, you know very obviously very distressed and she wanted uh, uh, him back hmm. and um, so so the holy prophet may peace be upon him said that he's already free I'm, i i have no objection you can go where take him if you <laughs> wherever <laughs> he likes. wants to go uh, but hazrat decided no he wanted to stay and at this the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him he announced that from today onwards i announce him as my son so he treated him as his as his real son mm-hmm. and even he he changed his name and put um for for some time until uh, a commandment came from god Allah almighty Allah. by the holy by, by in the holy quran uh, it was revealed to him that uh, you know you can't uh, name or you can't call your uh, your son or your children by the name of they should be called by their um, their original biological uh, parents uh, or father's name uh, and that is when he was changed back to zaid bin haris rather than Uh, that bin Muhammad. So uh, th- that was the way the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, um, treated um, you know his slave, and that's that's what he encouraged. And again, his followers they followed the same teachings, and it's mentioned and this uh, uh, mention about Abu Nawara, who was a merchant of uh, cotton cloth. He narrated that once on on one occasion, Hazrat Ali, uh, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, who was uh, who later on became the fourth Caliph. Uh, he came to his shop at the time he was accompanied by one of his slaves and hazrat ali 
may Allah be pleased with him, he purchased two thin shirts mm. and uh, thin, thin, thin shirts by thin shirts. What is meant is that it was a, a, a like a high quality because uh, the thick cloth was like mm. or, or raw or, or much cheaper. Mm. But the thinner it's cloth fine was, was fine, a yeah. fine, fine fabric. Fine, fine yeah. fabric. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a fine fabric. Um, so he, he bought these two shirts and then he said to his slave to select which one did he want uh, mm. from mm. from them. And the slave chose first. And then uh, Hazrat Ali, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, he wore the one which was left behind. Mm. So that was, that was their, their treatment. Even you, you see... Uh, well, this this is this is we are talking about the slaves who mm. had to stay for you know for for life, but um, even about the prisoners of war, mm. the Islamic teaching is such that uh, it is <coughs> mentioned that sometimes the companions of the Holy Prophet may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, they would treat better with better food mm. uh, and better clothing to, for their slaves than what they 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 themselves ate. Or they were they, more they, easy. They, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Staying in. <laughs> yeah. So they, they were happy <laughs> to be there uh, with them rather than, you know, yeah, going this on is, their own. This is also why, you know, when Islam, of course, Islam was spreading in different regions, in different uh, countries as well. And where, you know, there was Christians living mm. in, in one place. I forgot what, what it was called. But Christians were living in a particular place and the Muslims came and uh, they sort of, uh, they took they took control of that area. And because of uh, those same Muslims, because they were guarding that area, mm. even though that, you know, the people living over there were Christians, they had to move and they had to go on to another expedition somewhere else. So they had to leave that land. And when they were leaving that land, they told them that because we are leaving you, we cannot pro- we cannot protect you physically, right? So all the taxes that you have given us, we are going to return that to you, mm. to you now, uh, because we cannot protect you at the moment. We are, we have to go somewhere else. And those people, even though they were Christians, they were crying. They were saying that you mm. know d- don't leave us the way that you people have treated us. Nobody else has has ever treated us in this way. And and it was the Muslims. Imagine imagine a government is living in a place, and they decide to go somewhere else. They will take everything with them. Yeah, they will true. loot them. They will they will take all the money, all the wealth, everything mm. with them, even the crops. But the Muslims, what they did is that they returned it back to them. They didn't just they didn't take what they already had, but they returned uh, that uh, the taxes and everything as well. And they said that we are going to go somewhere else. If we come back to the, to this place, then yes, we will. You know. We would we would do that. Take care of take care of, take care of you in the future, but this was the example. <coughs> you know, this was the the example of the you know the the, the upbringing of the Holy Prophet, uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, his character and of course uh, the teachings of Islam. Uh, you know, <coughs> one thing you know in the life of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, setting free a person is not enough. Mm. If you're just telling him oh, you are free, you are you can go anywhere. Yeah. If you are setting maybe a million slaves together. Yeah. What the Holy Prophet, uh, you know, peace and blessings Allah be upon him, did, he basically wanted them to educate and did the true upbringing. Yeah, so they that's are, important. you know, that's very important. <clears throat> what happened in, in in America? They were freed, mm. but they didn't know how to do. They were not well educated, and they ended up with the you know wrong things. So what the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace be upon him, did, he educated them. He told them you have the same rights, you can sit with them, and they did such a bringing. So they were, you know, uh, you know, respected in the, in the area. Mm-hmm. We know Hazrat Bilal, mm-hmm. Allah Ta'ala, no? he was a slave before he accepted Islam. 
after accepting Islam, he was has the same respect which other had. Mm. So that's what the Holy Prophet, peace peace and be upon him, you know, given to people who were freed from slavery. And it's you know you mentioned you know sometimes we see that uh, Abraham Lincoln mm. and various other people as well. Yes, fine. They they did they did uh, free a lot of slaves. True. And you know in terms of freeing the slave, fine. We you know yeah. we accept that. But were they were they just like you mentioned? Were they able to stand up on their own feet? No. Were they ab- were they were they educated? Were th- did they have the capacity to you know to to live on their own to earn to a flourish, living? Yeah. That's the thing to flourish exactly. But you know, the, you gave the example of uh, of uh, of the companion of uh, the companion Bilal. Uh, may God be pleased with him. That he 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 wasn't just he wasn't just freed. Mm. He was actually given a very big title. He was the first person who called uh, the prayers uh, the, the Muslim prayer, yeah. the Azan. He was the first person who actually called that. And the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he gave him such a rank that uh, in some expeditions. He even made him the commander to, to some to some expeditions as well. I mean, we we don't find any sort of example like this mm. in comparison to this anywhere else in the world. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, freed slaves as well, and he gave the teaching to free to free slaves and uh, to give them their rights, but also to to have their upbringing. To and that is sometimes that is more important uh, uh, as well because if you just free a slave, you know they they don't have that mentality yet. But if you train them, then if you educate them, if you make sure that they can flourish, mm. then then that is the real that is the real duty. That's what that's been happening here. We're discussing exactly. about the labor, and they are you know stuck in different places. This 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 is the modern slavery, because they have no means you know to be on the same place. So yeah, as as you mentioned, uh, just talking about the anti-slavery laws and ethics. <coughs> Um, The International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights says in Article 8, no one shall be held in slavery, and slavery and the slave trade in all their forms shall be prohibited. No one shall be held in servitude. No one shall be required to perform force or compulsory labor. Article 7 of the same document protects all human beings from torture or cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment or punishment thus outlawing some of the more detestable practices of enslavement. Mm. Article 16 states that everyone shall have the right to recognition everywhere as a person before the law. Article 26 similarly says all persons are equal before the law and are entitled without any discrimination to the equal protection of the law. These provisions outlaw many of the discriminations faced by slaves and ex-slaves. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights, that was 1948, states that all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights and that no one shall be held in slavery or servitude. Slavery and the slave trade shall be prohibited in all their forms. Look at this is 1948 and this yeah. was this happened at the time of the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, in his last sermon. Uh, he exactly literally. declared the mm-hmm. same, literally um, uh, <coughs> similar. Um, the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court uh, characterizes enslavement as a crime against humanity falling within the jurisdiction of the court and describes enslavement as exercise of any or all of the powers attaching to the right of ownership over a person and includes the exercise of such power in the course of trafficking in persons, in particular women and children. 
Hmm. So, so the, these these are the laws which have been, you know, obviously they are coming up with more and more details and covering up. But Allah the Almighty states in the Holy Quran, chapter two, verse one hundred seventy-eight: "True virtue is in the estimation of God is that an individual believes in God, spends in His cause for the love of Him, on the kindred and the orphans and the needy and the wayfarer, and for freeing slaves." So, so this is this is a commandment of God Almighty. <coughs> Again, in another tradition, Hazrat Abu Huraira, one of the companions of the Holy Prophet, may Allah be pleased with him, relates that the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, and he would say that such a Muslim who frees a slave would be granted complete salvation by Allah, the Exalted, from hell. So the, this is the, the Islamic teaching in comparison to you know whatever the le- the, the legalities and the and the, mm. and the the laws are coming up now. An Italian professor Laura, how do you pronounce it? If you, anybody knows the correct pronunciation, I'm because it's sure. Italian, Vecchia Vaglieri writes that uh, slavery has been around uh, over since human civilization began, and it remains she. She opines that the condition of slavery among Muslim nations is comparatively better. She writes about the benevolence of the Prophet, may peace and blessings Allah be upon him, and cites him as saying, Do not say he is my slave, rather say he is my son. Mm. And do not say she is my female slave, rather say she is my daughter. Mm. She writes that on reflection, the Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, made magnificent reformations in this matter. In pre-Islamic days, a person in debt faced the possibility of having his freedom snatched. But after Islam, no Muslim could enslave another free Muslim. Not only did the Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, limit slavery, rather he introduced regulations about this and told the Muslims to march onwards regarding it until such time that all slaves were free. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you know, the, the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community, Hazrat bin Ghulam Ahmad, peace be upon him, uh, the promised Messiah upon whom be peace has written has written that remember that a Muslim should be ve- ever ready to discharge the rights of God and the rights of mankind just as one verbally regards God one and without any partner in his person and his attributes one should also demonstrate uh, this by practice and should treat his creation with kindness and compassion as well so this was uh, this was our show for uh, I mean the first part uh, the first part of our show, which was about uh, slavery, and uh, join us after the the news break as we will go into our second topic as well, uh, where we will uh, talk about re- restorative justice. Is it a more effective way uh, for for treatment as well? If you want to get in touch with us, zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you to call, but at the moment, join us after the break. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. 
Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the Drive Time Show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. Um, in this part of the show, we are speaking about uh, our, to- our second topic, uh, restorative justice. Um, is it a more uh, is it a more effective way? Just to give a little bit of a disclaimer, you may hear some noises uh, com- coming uh, in the studio as well because uh, they are working uh, on the you know the new construction on the front side of the Battle Futu Mosque. So if you hear some drills or some banging, uh, they are just literally working right outside uh, the studio, and we can we can literally see them as well um, outside the window. Um, so just uh, a little disclaimer as well. Um, as I mentioned before, it is an interactive show. If you want to uh, contribute to the show, the number to call is 0208-687-7878. And uh, d- talking about this issue, talking about this uh, d- this way, this way of, of restoring justice, it, it is interesting. Um, and so we would, you know, like to hear what uh, what you have to say in regards to this as well. Now, restorative justice means I know you spoke a little bit about this before as well, but mm. restorative justice means that victims can talk to offenders, encouraging them to take responsibility and make amends as well. And this is uh, this not only empowers victims, but aims to help them in getting back to their lives as well. You know, you know, getting back upon their feet. And uh, the the trouble that they have been caused, or trouble that have been inf- inflicted upon them, they can sort of, um, y- you know, get besides that, uh, and uh, you know, as I mentioned, get back on uh, with their lives as well. Now, government research demonstrate that uh, restorative justice provides an 85% victim satisfaction rate and a 14% reduction in the frequency of reoffending. And this is what the, this has been reported by Victims First UK. So, what exactly is restorative justice? If we discuss this further in depth, yeah. you know, particularly restorative justice, is to bring you know those harmed by weak, uh, by crime or conflict, and those responsible for the harm, which are of course of offenders, into communication. So this enables every affected by a particular incident to play a part in repairing the harm and finding a positive way forward to discuss, to sit down or, you know, and then communicate with each other and find the solution. So it empowers the victims by providing them with an opportunity uh, to not only ask questions to their offenders, but also allows them to explain to the offenders what the real impact of the crime was and how uh, it, you know, disrupted their life. It has also been uh, observed that uh, voicing your pain assists in healing, forgiving and encourages the uh, victims to find closure which is essential in the process of moving on or back to normality. And we find that 72% victims said that their, you know, restorative justice conference had provided them with a sense of uh, closure. And this allows offender to be held accountable for their deeds and uh, encourages them to take responsibility and uh, make uh, you know amends where possible and uh, as we're discussing this restorative justice it does not focus on punishment but instead aims to increase the empowerment and uh, well-being of the victim after the crime and informs experience of the offender and uh, reintegrating them back into the community mm. with the skills and awareness 
to make better decision in the future and uh, yeah yeah now w- 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 the holy quran actually p- provides specific uh, punishments uh, for only four offenses hmm. and that is adultery that is slandering murder and also theft okay. and uh, these offenses appear to have been selected to indicate that life family institution property honor and social order have all been protected and Allah the Almighty mentions in the Holy Quran in chapter 7 verse 200 take to forgiveness and enjoin kindness and turn away from the arrogant um it will give some more uh, insight in terms of what uh, what Islam says in regards to in regards to this as well but let's get our guest who is on the line with us uh, uh Asia Shearing who is a restorative standards uh, officer peace be upon you good afternoon and welcome to the show Oh good afternoon. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Thank you so much for for joining us. Um how does restorative justice work and is it always successful? So restorative justice is part of a voluntary process where parties that have been affected in some way by crime, conflict or harm can come together into some form of communication to address that harm and find ways to be able to move forward from what's happened. Um it allows people that have been harmed to have a voice and to explain the impact of uh, the what has happened to them has had on them on their families and the wider community and it allows the person who's caused the harm to take responsibility and to be able to hear that impact of their actions on others um i would say the success of a piece of work is really difficult to measure no two cases are the same mm. sometimes success will look like a full restorative conference where people meet face to face and you know there'll be apologies and mm. there'll be some closure uh, other times um people will just be um they'll be they'll feel better after they've just had a restorative conversation that allows people to feel valued safe and heard mm. and that's all the person may need um to feel that they've had a positive outcome it's it's ultimately not about causing any further harm to any party Mm. and with competently trained and experienced facilitators the majority of restorative processes will be successful in some way mm. um we know that victim satisfaction rates for restorative justice are up to 85% and we know that on the on the side of the person that's caused the harm we know that it can help reduce reoffending um around 14 to 21% mm. so so the it is quite promising then the statistics are Uh, obviously you mentioned that it's not no two cases are the same but it is quite, still quite promising right it is quite promising yes um there is really good evidence to show that it does have um really good satisfaction rates for people that have been through hmm. some kind of process and that might be uh not a face to face it might be just that they've had a letter exchange or they've had shuttle mediation where messages have been passed backwards and forwards mm-hmm. to be able to share their thoughts and feelings around what's happened and to talk about who else has been affected So I mean that is uh, that is great. Um what is the restorative justice all party parliamentary group? What's that? So the re- yeah so the restorative justice all party parliamentary group was formed in April 2021 to drive forward cross party conversations on restorative justice and to raise awareness about its principles. Um the purpose of the the group is to examine the use of restorative justice principles within the UK justice system and beyond. Hmm. to r- to raise the profile of restorative justice principles within parliament 
and to provide opportunities for policy discussion and consultation on, on where we can go to kind of improve it and raise awareness. Uh, the, the group have already undertaken an initial inquiry into the current state of restorative justice and they have made nine recommendations to Parliament already as to how restorative justice can be better embedded within the criminal justice system. Uh, their current work is focused more broadly on how restorative practice can be used within education, healthcare and social care. Um, and just to, just as a little plug, that you, they do have a little uh, a website which is um, rjappg.co.uk where you can find out more information and there'll be the report is available for people to read as well so they can see what the recommendations are. So that's uh, that's the restorative justice all party parliament parliamentary group. What about the the restorative justice council? What, what role does that have to play in providing justice? So the restorative justice council, we're not a service provider, so we don't <laughs> generally we don't generally facilitate restorative work ourselves. Mm. But as an independent third sector membership body for the field of restorative practice, we are a national voice advocating the widespread use of all forms of restorative practice, including restorative justice. Um, we we set uh, we set and champion clear standards for restorative practice, which enable safe, high quality restorative practice to develop and thrive. So, as the yeah, as as the topic of our show uh, also indicates as well. Do you think that this form of justice, restorative justice, is sort of the way forward for local communities and societies as a whole? I think that there is more and more research coming out of the restorative sector every year. New projects, organisations being formed by people, particularly in communities where there has been a history of community conflict, um, who can really see the value in using restorative approaches in the way in which we respond to harm, um, crime, harm and conflict create a gap or a divide in society and restorative approaches can really help to close that gap and heal the harm. We know that when we think of harm we should consider much more than just the people directly affected by that incident that's happened. Within the ripples of harm there's also family members, friends, neighbours, bystanders, local community members that may have also been affected by what's happened. Um, and using restorative approaches allows everybody that wants to participate an opportunity to have a voice and be part of that healing process. So uh, thank you, thank you for uh, for that and uh, contributing to our show as well. Um, it's been a, it's been a pleasure speaking to you this afternoon, and uh, thank you once again, and have a lovely day. Thank you. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. So is it. This form of uh, of uh, of justice, uh, or trying to bring or achieve justice, it is. Uh, I mean, as the statistics also show, it is quite. It is you know, it is quite promising. But also, obviously, more research needs to be done into this as well. And the more people do it, of course, the more research that that can actually be conducted. And it's it's good as well as as, as I guess mentioned that it's not just good for the victim; it's good for the perpetrator. Uh, uh, as well and you know that they don't do it again that they don't relapse or uh, commit the same uh, offense uh, again so it, it can be it can be sort of the step forward or the way forward but obviously you know no no two cases are the same you can't treat all cases the same mm. and every every case has to be dealt with you know specifically and uh, attention needs to be given to, to obviously the see the, the, holy, the well. holy Quran has very clearly mentioned about that that the um, 
you know, according to the circumstances you should deal with. So you exactly. can't deal exactly. every case in the mm. in a similar in way. And way. there's a very clear a clear cut uh, injunction. It says uh, in chapter 42, verse 41. Uh, uh, it says, "And the recompense of an injury is an injury the like thereof, but whoso forgives, and his act brings about reformation, his reward is with Allah." Mm. Surely he loves not the wrongdoers. So uh, it is, uh, you know, you decide according to the circumstances. If you see that somebody is going to reform with talking to to them, making them realize what they did was wrong, and then they they see that with the offense they committed, how the victim was affected, how did it affect, and if he has a feeling of. Uh, um uh, sort of uh, not not only guilt but also he feels that uh, he, in future he's not going to do such an act mm. and he is likely to reform with that then of course you know this is a successful way of uh, or giving given him a a chance, chance. but you can't give it uh, to everyone uh, there, there are some really people really. who are rep- repetitively they are committing the same crime or they are into the crime they won't reform unless you know some hard uh, punishment is given to them so yeah. they at that time obviously uh, this won't be the right type of treatment giving the restorative mm. justice or thinking of restorative justice um, so uh, so it is it is balancing the two things together according to the teachings of the holy quran you know it's uh, important also that uh, the the government is also just as well because sometimes it might be that the case might be presented and uh, the the person who is the victim, they might forgive the perpetrator. They might forgive the person who is, uh, you know, doing the doing the heinous attacks or whatever. But the the authority, they think they may overrule that uh, and they may they may say that, OK, you have forgiven this person. That's fine in your capacity. But as a broader scale, uh, on a on a state st- uh, scale, because this person is uh, such a bad person, he needs to get pun- he needs to get punished. So they can overrule that uh, that uh, as well, and they may choose to punish that person if it causes, if it you know prevents any sort of co- uh, greater harm uh, as well. But obviously, you know every case uh, is uh, is not the same, uh, and every every case has its own conditions uh, and scenarios. As well, so you can't just uh, say that about uh, about everything. Now, there are you know the the the, the conflict center. They have actually suggested uh, five R's um, in terms of uh, you know which are, which actually are observed in this process. And the first is relationship. Now, this is that the demanded relationship between the offender and the victim needs to be repaired. Once the person who caused harm becomes accountable for their actions and begins to make amends, the relationship can actually start to heal as well. And sometimes that, that face-to-face connection or that, that one-to-one talk with one another, that dialogue, that mutual dialogue that they have, that can you know, <coughs> relieve a lot of the tensions, the problems as well. And this is not just for, this is not just for people or individuals. This can also be the same for nations as well. Mm. Sometimes nations are at war. Sometimes nations are have conflict. But having proper dialogue, you know, having a proper dialogue, sitting down, facing each other face to face, and proper properly going through everything, that can cause 
that can make peace, that can cause all of these tensions to go away. But also, this can only be uh, done when there's respect. And that's the second R. And this is during this whole process, respect is kept paramount. Respect keeps the process safe. And all involved, involved parties are trusted to show respect for themselves and for others at all stages of the process. And this ensures that long-term changes and solutions are actually achieved. You know, it's, 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 okay, it's okay to have differences. You know, it's okay to think, uh, to have a different opinion. It's okay to, 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 have, uh, to be on the opposite side, right? But if we have respect for that person... Then you know you will be able to hold not just hold your own you know their dignity but your own dignity as well. The moment that re the respect is gone, even for your enemy, you know the moment that respect is gone, then you know you can think that now is the time for the decline. And once you have that respect, that can only happen. That can only be achieved once you once you actually want uh, lasting peace. If you actually truly want lasting peace then only respect can happen and not thinking that you are better than the than the other person now the third r is responsibility claiming personal responsibility for one's actions plays a very important role and even if the harm inflicted was unintentional it's important that all parties who are involved are honest and take responsibility for their actions you know if you've done something wrong then then say yeah this i i did this wrong thing I, I am liable for any sort of penalty or any punishment uh, as well or any fine that I need to pay. If you're stubborn and you make the mistake and you still say no, I'm, I, I wasn't in the wrong and you don't admit the defeat, if you can't even say sorry, then how are you supposed to take responsibility? How are you supposed to uh, make amends for that one as well? The fourth R is repair. The next step uh, towards healing is, the, is this repair process. The offender is expected to repair the harm that they did to the fullest extent which is possible and knowing well that not all the harm can be repaired this encourages victims to actually um, uh, replaces thoughts of, re of revenge revenge and punishment with thoughts of uh, on moving forward in a more positive direction and the fifth R is reintegration and this actually encourages collaboration of the community and the person who caused harm rather than turning towards coercion and insulation as well. And this process recognizes the assets the person who caused the harm um, brings, to, brings to the table and what they have learned through the whole process as well. By accepting responsibility and agreeing to repair the harm, the person who caused harm creates space and trust to be reintegrated into the community and this is what uh, these these are all the five r's which have been suggested by the conflict center which um, you know which have been observed as well and all of these uh, points are quite valid quite good points uh, as well allah the almighty mentions in the holy quran in chapter 39 verse 54 say O my servants who have committed excess excess against their own souls Despair not the mercy of Allah. Surely Allah forgives all sins. Verily, He is most forgiving, merciful. So this is uh, this was the injunctions and the teachings of the of the Holy Quran. So what Allah the Almighty has actually taught us uh, to do. 
So how does uh, restorative justice benefit the community? So uh, one thing is reduced uh, recidivism. Um, that's the repetition of the offense. So restorative justice, it has a high rate of success in reducing repeat offenses. People who have offended have the opportunity to make things right and they learn from the process and put the matter behind them so they can more easily go on to lead a crime-free life. Mm. Also, uh, increased safety in the community. Um, with reduced uh, recidivism com comes a safer community. Restorative justice empowers individuals to make their neighborhoods and towns safer and more pleasant places to live. Then it's cost effectiveness uh, um, as well because uh, a restorative approach to crime saves the state money by preventing individuals from becoming part of the criminal justice system for offenses that can be resolved at the local level with community and victim participation. Mm. So if you don't have to go through the process of justice, criminal justice system, of course you save money uh, because uh, that's uh, the government money which is involved in that providing, uh, trying to provide justice. Uh, again, you uh, develop a stronger community in addition to um, enhancing the safety and well-being. Uh, and uh, community justice centers help to establish more active citizenship. Economically, this will reduce the money spent on jails and other similar centers. And for every one pound spent on delivering a face-to-face -face meeting, eight pound was saved through reduction in reoffending. Um, that has been fact quoted from Restorative Justice Council. On a long-term basis, uh, if you look into it, uh, as suggested by the study, long-term effectiveness of a brief restorative justice intervention published by International Journal of Offender Therapy and Comparative Criminology, recidivism rates in the restorative justice intervention condition were lower than the recidivism rates in the treatment as usual condition. Regarding justice, Allah the Almighty has said in the Holy Quran, O ye who believe, be strict in observing justice and be witness for Allah even though it be against yourselves or against parents and kindred. Whether he be rich or poor, Allah is more regardful of them both than you are. Therefore, follow not low desires so that you may be able to act equitably, equitably. And if you conceal the truth or evade it, then remember that Allah is well aware of what you do. That's from chapter 4, verse 136. And of course, there are <coughs> many benefits of, uh, you know, restorative justice. But there are some disadvantages, uh, which, you know, I would like to mention. Mm. You know, it is not... Uh, the thing is, this literature justice is not available to all offenders, as we discussed already. Only those who have committed, you know, uh, their crime, but victims, you know, may reject the offer. Even though it's for everybody, but victims, you know, they are, uh, they have this authority to may reject the offer, and this cannot be, you know, a global solution. And, uh, you know, physiological harm may be brought to the victim, especially if the criminal shows no empathy towards them, mm. which may result in a lowered self-esteem. And uh, the another, you know, disadvantage is that the offender may be harmed. The victims may gang up on the offender, which is especially dangerous mm. if the offender is a child, mm. if he's weak, mm. and anything can happen that time. 
and of course then the last thing is victims you know may attempt to shame the offender which is not the aim of process is to you know bring them on the right path mm. if the victims start you know shaming that person that you have done this you're bad this, so and so you know the whole purpose of doing it you know it it, it, it fails down. yes yeah. so you know there are some disadvantages but as we mentioned <clears throat> in the beginning of course we have to balance both things and uh, if we balance definitely you know it will be effective absolutely absolutely let's uh, let's speak to our next guest who is on the line with us uh, professor theo gavrilides who is a phd and is a legal uh, philosopher and founder of rj for all peace be upon you good afternoon and welcome to the show theo good afternoon thank you for inviting me thank you for for joining us this afternoon now what is um restorative justice for all and how does it work yeah that's the name of the organization i said hub is a community organization um that i i created hmm. some time ago um when i felt that there is a power imbalance in our society whether it's a local community or the international community um and i was um looking at different practices but also values that would help us rebalance the power abuse that we're experiencing uh, and by the way is london poverty challenge week uh, this week um mm. so your conversations are very uh, timely yeah. mm-hmm. um and 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 um one of the methodologies for abusing for addressing the abuse of power is is restorative justice so i created the organization and it says exactly what it says on the team restorative justice for offering restorative justice as a vehicle um as a, as a methodology and as a practice to address power abuse um now i've been listening to your to your conversations and obviously uh, you have focused on the use of restorative justice for um for crime so something that has happened mm. and restoring the incident and bringing the victim and the offender now restorative justice for um our organization does that too but the biggest work that we do is prevention Mm. um and restorative justice is used in its majority in the preventative side of things so in schools in educational settings in youth settings with young people uh, but also to raise awareness about the values on which it's based um and you probably well you mentioned the Quran and certain sections of the Quran where actually restorative justice is mentioned um I've got um 49 paragraph 9 in front of me which says if two functions among the believers should fight then make settlement so look between the two um and there's several concepts within the Quran and Islam that um can form i would say the foundations for restorative justice practices um and the values are those that you mentioned in your mm. in your discussions including forgiveness uh, one of the most important um values um respect equality dignity and the one that i keep saying is power sharing absolutely absolutely um professor professor uh, theo um other than other than criminal offenses what what other problems or you know issues can actually be resolved by by this form of justice Yeah so as i said uh for us it's 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 not uh, the the biggest issue is not just dealing 
with the crime, which, as we know, the current criminal justice system is failing. If we look at the recidivism rates for adult offenders, 75% would end up going back doing the same thing mm. uh, in prison. Mm. And the same, the statistics for young people are even worse. Um, so that's one aspect of it. And then you mentioned the statistics um, in terms of the, the victim satisfaction and the benefits in terms of recidivism for offenders for, for restorative justice. Um, but for us, it's, it's wider than that. And it, it, as I said, it is about rebalancing power and addressing power abuse. Now, how do you go about doing that with restorative justice? Well, to do restorative justice, and we do it every day. Um, I do it every day with my son. Uh, just to give you an example, mm-hmm. if, 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 you know, if we all wear hats, you know, we're, we're parents, we are employers, we are partners, and we have power. Um, and it's how we use that power. Uh, and you can say to your to your children, you know, you left your bedroom um, untidy. You have to go back and do it. And if you don't do it, you're going to be punished, or you're not going to get dessert, or you're not going to get this. Mm. Um, and that's the, the the philosophy of the criminal justice system. This is what we're used to. We want to punish to get something, mm. to to rectify something, or to achieve something. We use our hats and as a vehicle to achieve that. Whereas in restorative justice, you would sit down and say. Shall we just talk about the problem here? This is what I think mm. should be done because it's better this way because of hygienic reasons. It's more tidy. You will find your clothes easier. You won't lose time. Um, explain the reasons why you think your position is correct. And then allow the other person without saying, oh, do you know what? I, I'm got, I've got had and I'm your dad or I'm your employer. And you've got to say certain things to me in a certain way. No, you remove that had and you allow them to be themselves and then answer back and say, well, actually, it's my bedroom or it's my bedroom. And I get your point about, you know, being tidy and maybe I would tidy up, but not every day I would do it. So you negotiate a solution. Hmm. And with that, you remove the power that we have and is abused and leads to bad outcomes. And in this methodology, you allow a consensual resolution and I'll just use a very simple example here, that the, the two parties agree and has more potential of succeeding. Um, magnifying that in the society where, you know, the communities, whereas the Muslim community, you know, any community that is, is, is experiencing the abuse of power by those in power, um, if those communities or if those individuals can negotiate solutions about different issues, you can understand that the solutions will be far better than the solutions that have been imposed. Um, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but this is, is a hard, hard thing to do. And all parties need to be willing to do that because the hardest thing to do, um, and I just published a book called Race, Power and Restorative Justice, is to be able to share power, mm. to be able to say, yes, I have the power and I'm willing to share that power, and that's not an easy thing to do. So mm. all the fantastic things that you said about restorative justice are great, but I have to point out, is not easy. Mm. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, we can imagine as well. I mean, just before we, we brought you on as well, we, we mentioned, of course, there are many, many positives, but there are some disadvantages uh, as well, which need to be highlighted as well before people actually um, resort to this sort of uh, sort of justice method. Um, of course, we see that uh, most of the time, uh, this form of justice can actually be beneficial for for the victim. Uh, 
But what impact does uh, does this have on the on the offender? If you you know if you can if do you have a case study? If you can share something or your expertise on this one? Yeah. Um, so apart from me writing books and articles and running organisations, I've also had the the opportunity to, to facilitate cases, including hate crime cases. So probably I use one of the examples that, um, which was a, a hate, we would call it hate incident, um, because what was happening uh, was um, uh, it, it, it was a Muslim family, uh, and it was being constantly harassed and attacked by literally the neighbours. And, um, you know, the police kept coming back. Uh, it was not recorded as a crime. As you can understand, if it's not recorded as a crime, then there's no further steps. But it was it was um, kind of neighborhood disputes um, level, you know, head incident level. And then at some point, the police um, said, how about we divert this to, to a mediation um, mm. and bring restorative justice to, to, to the discussion? Yeah. And what happened is that the two families were brought together after a lot of preparation. Uh, and that's the, you know, the caveat, because you can't just bring people together. Yeah. You have to prepare them. And there is, um, you know, there is steps to take for that. And also they need to be willing to do that. Because if, mm. if I mean, we're calling them offenders. The story of justice doesn't use that terminology. We, we call them the harmed party instead of the victim. So somebody who has been harmed. And someone who is harming, somebody who's who is causing the harm, mm. um, and and those who are causing the harm, if they're willing to 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 come to a to to discussion, to a dialogue, then the preparation needs to to, to bring those two groups together in a safe manner that is consensual, right? Mm. So the mediator knocked on the door, both families had a little chat prepare them, made sure that everybody's safe. And when they were ready, they came together. And then they realized that it was a lot of cultural misunderstandings, whether it was, you know, the, the smell or the noise or whatever it was, or why that was happening. And then the other way around, why, you know, it was building up, why the tree was cut down after the words that were said, and, you know, why it was building up. Um, and when that discussion took place, and then another discussion took place, the cultural barriers and the misunderstanding started to disappear. Mm. And what you have called offenders, it had um, that. So the outcome was um, that not only the dispute stopped, but those two families started to meet and they started to be real neighbors and supportive neighbors. So not only the conflict stopped and the case was never sent to the court as a criminal case. Uh, to have a, yet another criminal case that has been prosecuted and yet more offenders in prisons. So we didn't have the case going down that road. Mm. But not only that, you also created relationships between two neighbors that now understood each other and their cultural you know, backgrounds and why certain things were happening. But also they agreed negotiated solutions, you know, certain times for certain things not to happen, how things should be done, and they came to an agreement. And that's you know that's one of the examples that I, you know, I can give you in terms of the impact that it's having on what you have called us offenders, mm. because all they get at the minute through the criminal justice system is if they're like they appear in court, they hear what they get to hear, and then they're put in prison mm. where they become better criminals. Whereas if they have the courage to say, I will face the consequences of my action, and I would also face the victim 
that I harmed and listen to their stories and allow them to ask me questions of what I did and allow them to ask me, would you apologize or would you do something back to rectify what you've done? Mm. Then that demands a lot of courage and a lot of um, change within yourself. And that's why I said restorative justice causes pain. Uh, but that pain is what is needed to reconstruct yourself and recreate yourself and come out of it clean. Yeah. I mean, that's a you know, very, very powerful uh, case study that you that you shared with us uh, as well. Um, is it is it that, you know, if if the person in this case, let's just call the person the, the offender, right? If if he or she commits any sort of uh, crime or does any sort of harm to to the victim, and then he also uh, says that, you know, I, I will face the consequences, just like you mentioned before as well, that he will face the consequences, but also they will face the victim as well. And if the victim is, uh, and if they sort of come to any sort of agreement, can his uh, sort of sentence be reduced? Or does that is, does it work in that sense as well? Or does he have yeah, to and, go in, into that sort of, you know, go to law, uh, go to the court and... And get uh, imprisoned or that's whatever. That's right. So yeah, so the, there is actually a provision now in 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 the law uh, where restorative justice uh, can be uh, provided at all stages of the criminal justice system. Mm. So it can be provided at the police stage. So I gave an example where the police uh, came, you know, the, this this incident yeah. came to the police's attention, and the police diverted the case to mediation. That's one stage. It's the early stage there. Then the second stage is when the police actually um, uh, cause the Crown Prosecution Service and the prosecutors get involved, right? So again, at that stage, the prosecutor uh, also, based on legislation, they kind of have a case to, to restorative justice. Then obviously the next stage is the court stage. So the court itself can divert the case. The court also has a stage within it, which is it decides on the case, and then it's the stage where you pass the sentence. So restorative justice is also allowed at the sentencing stage and also restorative justice is allowed at the prison stage. So once you are in prison, so the law allows you to introduce restorative justice to parties at all stages of the criminal justice system. Mm. Now, depending on which stage you introduce restorative justice and depending on the outcome of the case, which will be a mutual outcome, so the parties decide the victim and the offender, as you said, then as part of that agreement, then you will have the results. So it could be a reduction of um, a sentence. It could be not to sentence, even not to sentence, because you diverted the case to the mediation or to the family court conferencing or the circles, and the parties agreed that they would do X, Y, Z. They would do this and that. And when that happened, then the agreement is enforceable as if it was issued by a court or as if it was issued by a criminal justice agency. Now, if the offender doesn't honor the agreement and the uh, practitioner, the, the, the practice who enforces that agreement is responsible for that and reports back that that agreement has not been honored, then the case either will go back to the criminal justice system of the state that it was introduced, mm. yeah, so yeah. it could be police, it could be CPS, and so on and so forth. Or they'll go back and see why it wasn't done and provide support, depending on the case. 
So it depends on which stage of the criminal justice system has been diverted. Unfortunately, the problem is that there's no awareness. So victims and offenders are not aware hmm. that they have this option. <laughs> and yeah. that's where, you know, shows that yours and discussions within your community is important to know that the law provides that. You know, yeah. you, you you can ask for it if you want to. They just don't know about just it. Don't know about it as well. Um, yeah, so, th- I mean, this is also, you know, why one of the reasons why we're doing these sort of shows as well, so, so we can raise awareness and more people can actually know about it as well. Um, Professor, in the in the in the long in the long term in the long run, how will restorative justice help develop a peaceful society? Uh, yeah, and, and and that is the key word, isn't it? Is peace um, exactly. and peace between uh, our, well, first of all, uh, within ourselves, yeah. peace, uh, restorative justice, the values of forgiveness, kindness, um, respect, dignity, equality, reading those values and how you practice those values on a daily basis, that's how you bring, first of all, peace to yourself. And if you can do that, then you can bring peace to your family and you can use restorative justice. I gave an example of between me and my son. You can use that within peace with your family, with your friends. I do restorative justice in my own organization, bring peace to your own organization. I mean, we can all do that. Then that as a ripple effect, will 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 go wider in society, <laughs> but we have to start from 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 within. We have to start from ourselves, um, and the values that we all share, and they're all common, independently of what religion we sign up to. Now, with restorative justice, if we're talking about the criminal justice system, um, it's not an either or. And when it was first introduced in the 70s, and this was the main problem was introduced as an opposite of the criminal justice system. Mm. I've always championed, and I said, it's not opposite, it's an alternative. It's something that works with it. It's supporting it. Um, and then you can provide it within the criminal justice system. So, for example, the probation is offering it, police is offering it. You know, these are the criminal justice agents. But the majority of it happens in the community, in the community sector, organizations mm. like ours, different mediation centers. So the bottom-up, the community, as I said, version of restorative justice needs to work better with the top-down, the structured provision of restorative justice. And if that can happen and the two can coexist and be supported equally, then I think with the transformation, as I said, of changing from within and the genuine support of the community sector and the um, community-born restorative justice practices, then we could see a long-term impact. Absolutely, absolutely. Hopefully, hopefully that is the that is the case as well. Uh, and then you know we can sort of restore the peace in the world uh, as well. And as you mentioned, uh, also that peace, you know, having having internal peace, peace from uh, from within as well, so that we can achieve peace outwards as well. Professor Theo, thank you so much for, for, for speaking with us this afternoon. I know we took uh, quite some time of yours, but uh, we appreciate that one and your expertise and your contribution to the show. Thank you so much once again and uh, have it's a lovely my pleasure. day. Thank no, you. thank you very much. and Thank you for bringing awareness uh, to the Muslim community of restorative justice. There is a special week every year. The third week of November is International Restorative Justice Week. 
and we'd love to have you as part of our um, daily activities of awareness raising and mm. uh, the conference that we're organizing so I'll, I'll be in touch to see if we can if we can help and continue the dialogue but thank you very much for for raising the, the issue and for inviting absolutely me. that's that's wonderful that's wonderful looking forward uh, to that as well thank you so much once again thank you thank you bye-bye and congratulations sir. thank you bye bye-bye bye-bye so that was Professor Theo, who's a PhD uh, and also a legal professor, uh, philosopher and founder of uh, restorative, restorative Justice for All, RJ for All, and uh, some good work that they are doing as well, and uh, very, very, uh, very, very promising uh, as well uh, to all of that. You know, we we mentioned uh, we mentioned uh, quite a few quite a few things uh, quite a few things in regards to in regards to this as well. Um, we've discussed uh, quite a few things, such as restorative justice, more than just a short-term solution, as it not only solves the issue at hand or serves justice for that specific crime, but is also a a very effective long-term resolution as well to 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 achieve a peaceful and a harmonious society. And restorative justice allows victims to, to move on and return to normality. As suggested by the statistics, 78% of victims would recommend to others. And this has been reported by Victims First UK. It also it, it, it allows offenders to understand and comprehend the damage they have caused along with providing a chance for them to correct their mistake where possible and eventually helping them integrate back into society and that's also that, that that's the important thing integrating back integrating them back into society making sure that they can live their lives to the fullest again now the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community the fifth caliph of the promised messiah upon whom be peace Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad may Allah be his helper has uh, addressed uh, his address in Roehampton University in London uh, in, uh, in 2007 in which he stated that if we want to create peace in our society then we must shun all evils, promote good deeds and fulfill the rights of others selflessly. We must get rid of the poison of superiority complex. We must eliminate the distinction between superpower and the poor developing countries. We must get rid of all the national and racial prejudice. In, in this regard, we will have to set very high targets, free of all prejudices, so that humanity can advance in doing good to each other. And these are very, very important uh, uh, aims and objectives that we must aim to achieve. Indeed. You know, uh, as uh, the respected professor mentioned, uh, I think personally, you know, this uh, we need to do a such a bringing of the children. Mm. They should be humble. They should respect uh, each other, the community. You know, once I uh, had a meeting in in Sheffield when I was I was you know serving as a missionary in Sheffield. Mm. They were discussing so many problems going on within the communities, and they had a very long discussion that how we can basically go ahead and uh, you know achieve those uh, problems. One thing I've mentioned to them as, 
you know, to raise awareness and to go to different societies, especially Muslim societies and even Christianity. There are, you know, uh, you know, places, let's suppose the mosques are there, they are the imams, they have a very easy, they, they can reach out to people and they can raise awareness. Hmm. Uh, you know what the incredible work they are doing. Yeah. Similarly, if they go to churches, they are fathers. And these are, I think, the, I think the very amazing way to reach out to people uh, easily. And we find in the even lifetime of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, what he has you know, taught to Muslims, to have a rights of each other. Mm. If we are, you know, as a being Muslims, if we are following the teachings of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and are following all you know, the teachings and the rights which he has given to different uh, people within the community, if we're following it, indeed, you know, we can bring peace within ourselves and within our societies if we start giving you know, the rights of each other. Absolutely, absolutely. So that was uh, that was our show for uh, the for for this afternoon. A very uh, interesting, a very jam-packed show as well. Uh, we spoke to um, you know some some good uh, some good guests who, sh- who shed some light uh, uh, on the topics uh, that we spoke about this afternoon. Uh, we spoke uh, we spoke about modern slavery and how that's a big issue, and what are the ways in which we can actually prevent that, but also how we can treat slaves uh, so that they can be free properly free and also restorative justice a more effective way as well today's show was produced by maria ahmed and zainab fatima zakala to them and of course and uh, the technical side until next time assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh